0: i to an article today about some very disgruntled Tesla buyers. Tesla apparently recently slashed prices by thousands of dollars. People who bought right before the price cut feel very upset. Can't blame them for feeling upset, but at least the way they're being quoted and reported in this article, they really sound a little bit entitled and a little bit uh, lacking in self-awareness. The headline of the article was, a Tesla buyer says she effectively lost $10,810 overnight after the carmaker slashed prices. When She paid whatever she paid. They cut prices the next day. She feels she lost $10,000. One of the people quoted in the co- goes even further. It feels like you have been cheated and robbed, the buyer said. It feels like we are helpless. It doesn't seem fair to a hardworking family with two kids to rob them of their six-month savings. They've been robbed of their six-month savings because they could have gotten a better price had they waited another few days before they made the purchase. Um, I don't know that there's any legitimate reason to claim... I I understand the feeling. If I buy something and it goes on sale the next day, I feel uh, frustrated as well. To argue that somehow you've been robbed and cheated seems to be a little bit excessive. But anyway, tonight what I want to discuss is I want to discuss several chuvas and related comments in the post discussing a version of this question which actually was discussed in Halakha. Halakha doesn't discuss a consumer who bought something and then feels cheated because he could have bought it at a better price after it went on sale. Halakha discusses a case, the the Post can discuss a case of of merchants who bought, let's say a retailer who bought merchandise from a wholesaler, and then the wholesaler proceeded to dump more of it on the market after the retailer bought it, Undercutting the retailer's position, the retailer says, "I bought this from you, and the next it, i don 't just feel cheated because it 's on sale now I feel like I can't sell it. Uh, I bought it I had a business plan I bought it from you for fifty dollars. I plan to sell it for a hundred now you 're dumping it on the market for for sixty or even fifteen. How am I supposed to sell it at this point that 's something which the post can discuss, not just the psychological feeling of having been having been cheated, but the idea that the entire rationale of the purchase may have evaporated if the seller then proceeds to, to take action that undercuts the the buyer's position <clears throat> in theory that this can come up in the case of the car the car as well if you bought the car hoping you'd be able to sell it used at a certain price and now you can't because the manufacturer lowered the prices that would be a similar concern that i i, I can't recoup as much of my initial purchase price as i wanted to by selling it because now the price is lower. But realistically, it's not really an, an argument, I don't think, because nobody expects the, the, the seller not to lower the price over the next year or two years or three years. The issue here is only that he, that he, that he, that he cut the price the next day. Nobody really buys a car planning to sell it. I mean, people almost never buy cars planning to sell them the next day. So this particular argument seems to be a little moot in the case of the Tesla. But in any event, this is what the Post can discuss. This is what a number of the Gidoli Akronem discussed. the question of a... A retailer who buys merchandise from a wholesaler, intending to profit by selling it at retail, and then finds himself unable to do so because the, the seller proceeds to dump more of it or to, sell it or, or to make it available uh, wholesale, direct to the public uh, on his own, undercutting the position of his initial retail customer. So we'll begin. We'll begin with the first juve on this topic. By the in the sefer sheilos Uchuvus mutzel meish, sheilos Uchuvus mutzel meish was a great svardic posik of about four hundred years ago. He was a he was a seventeenth century svardic authority in Constantinople. Rabbi Alfandari from the I think it's the, Alfandari was a celebrated celebrated Zvardik name. There were many Gidele Terra named Alfandari. Yaakov al-Fandari, he wrote a sefer called Mutzel Me'esh, it's called that because, uh, be, because um, much of his Torah much of his Torah was lost in a was lost in a, uh, in a fire so they called, uh, when they published the rest of it they called what survived, the Mutzal Me'esh the Pasuk in Tanakh, it says, Me'esh, I think in Zechariah in the Menorah of Zakaria. The, the leftovers the, snatched from the fire this is a tshuva safer, <coughs> the Chuva in his sefer, Mutzal case was as follows. Ma'aseba he said, uh, an incident occurred. shemachar, me'a shol karsi He sold karsi. Karsi, creation in Hebrew, the tough and the shin are interchangeable. Karsi is leak. He sold me'a ukiah. The ukiah presumably refers to the oka. Oka is a. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but uh, the oka was a was, is a measurement of mass equal to. They say it, it, it's volume varied, but it was standardized in the late Ottoman Empire as 1.1.2829 kilograms. So a little more than. Uh, so it's. Uh, how does it go? A, a pound. A pound is pound and kilogram. What's the relationship? Um, two point two pounds. Right. So 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 two point two pounds is a kilogram, so 1.2 kilograms is going to be on the order of uh, two and a half pounds or something. So, <coughs> so, so, so he had, he had mea ukya, so he had, if it's uh, 2.2, if it's about, if it's something like two and a half, three pounds, a hundred of them, he had several hundred pounds of karsi, of leek. Leek apparently he calls it prasabalaz, parasabalaz, apparently the word parasa is the Turkish word for leek, apparently if you look in the English Wikipedia page for leek, you will see that leek plays... I don't even know exactly what a leek is, but apparently leek plays... It's a, it's a relative of the onion and garlic, but apparently leek plays a major role in Turkish cuisine. They, they're chopped into slices, they're, they're, they're processed, filled, spices. They make things called zeytinaj perasa, leek with olive oil, exili perasa, sour leek, etli perasa, leek with meat, perasa musaka, leek musaka. Perasa Borik, Borik with leek, Perasa Koftesi, leek meatballs. Apparently leek is a big deal in Turkish cuisine, in Ottoman cuisine. This fellow had, several. he bought several hundred pounds, someone sold several hundred pounds of leek, and he sold it to a retailer, Leerach Gimel Levanim, for the price of three white coins. Levanim was a standard coin, they called them white. It it was a, a reference, apparently, to the Turkish Aksa, again, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but that also was a Turkish coin, it was a an Ottoman. It, it, it was a uh, it was a Turkish coin. It came from the word. It actually means white. So ak in Turkish apparently means white. The aksa it meant silver. Silver is a whitish metal, so the, it was some kind of silver coin. So he sold several hundred pound. I, I don't know how much this is worth. You can read the Wikipedia page to see how much silver is in an aksa. Um, around around the, around the time of this shuva, in the in the there was apparently they they kept lowering the amount of silver in an oxa, So apparently. In the 1600s, it was down to about, down to about uh, 0.29 grams of silver. So anyway, you can do the math if you want. He sold several hundred pounds of leek for some price in silver. The retailer took the leek to his village to sell it at retail. You'll see later in the tshuva, this was Erev Yontif he was going to sell it. It was a three-day Yantif. This was a Wednesday it was Erev Yontif. It was going to be Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. He took, it, he took the leek to his village, and Turkish people apparently uh, eat a lot of leek, as we said. So he planned on having a big leek sale for Yantif and making profit on the... He planned on selling it He, said he planned on selling it for 7 levanim per, uh, per ukya. He was going to make uh, tremendous profit. He, was, he bought it at 3, he was going to sell it at 7, and he would make a lot of profit. However, Bahimi Makaras... The next day, he took a whole big sack of leeks, and he began to sell them in the same village as the the retailer, as the buyer. He began to sell them for three levanim as well. Everyone saw that. Uh, why should I buy at seven from this middleman? I can go straight. I can cut out the middleman. The famous cutting out of the middleman. I'll go straight to the wholesaler. He's 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 dumping them on the market for three. So everyone began to buy leek for three from the supplier. The initial buyer, he obviously realized he realized he obviously couldn't continue to sell at seven. He had to drop down to four, and uh, he had to sell them for three. I'm not sure. He, I don't understand exactly what he describes. Basically, he had to sell them at four or three, and he was basically wiped out. He said that, 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 that the, the ones he sold, he sold at cost or only a little bit more, and he couldn't sell all of them, and the ones he couldn't sell had to be thrown away. He threw them into the sea because it was Erev he says. Wednesday was Erev and he couldn't sell on Yontif, and by the time Yontif was over, it would be Sunday, it was already, they didn't have refrigerators, it was already three-day-old, uh, the leak was already old and, and worthless, so he took a big loss. He, uh, he took a big loss, he, he, he couldn't see, he had, a bunch of them were thrown away, and the ones he sold were sold barely at cost, so instead of making the substantial profit he hoped to make by selling them at seven, I guess even at seven, I, I suppose, I don't, know how, I don't know if he would have sold all of them, or some of them would have been lost anyway, but the ones he couldn't sell. But he would have made, apparently, a substantial profit by selling at seven. Instead, he sold virtually at cost, and, he, and some of them were thrown away. So now they went to a dintaro. The seller came, apparently he had, he had bought, the, 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 the buyer had bought the leak on credits. So the seller came and said, pay me the balance. Uh, pay, pay, me, pay me the remainder of the three Levanum perukia that I sold you the leak for. So I, I want payment in full for, for all the leak I sold you. The buyer says, it's all your fault. It's all your fault that I couldn't sell the leak that I bought. <coughs> so what he proposed was, I will give you, whatever I sold, I'll give you two Levanum. I sold for three and four. Whatever I sold, I'll give you two or three. I'm not. I'm not even going gonna to give you the full three because I have to make profit. Also, I, I bought them only anticipating that I'd be able to sell them. I, I can't afford to walk away from this deal even by breaking even. Certainly, I had to throw some of them away. So he proposed that he would pay at uh, fifty or seventy-five percent for the ones that he sold, and that's it. And the and the seller said we had no conditions. We had no. We had no stipulations regarding. We had no stipulations regarding what I can or can't do with any remaining leak in my inventory, we had a deal that you agreed to pay me three levanim per uki of leak, and I expect you to honor that. So that, that was the argument. The, the, the seller said I did nothing wrong. I, I made no guarantees, no representations to you about what I would or wouldn't do after I sold you the 100 uki of leak that you bought. And the buyer says, this is, this is outrageous. I, I, I can't sell the leak. I couldn't sell the leak that you bought to me. The whole point was to sell them at retail. I, presumably he bought a wholesale quantity of leak, not a retail quantity. There was, there was no question... The quantity he bought, he was planning on reselling, and I couldn't. I couldn't sell them, and I, there's no way I'm paying you for all the leak that you uh, for all the leak that you, that you that you sold me the price you wanted, because then I would lose and I wouldn't make any profit. Says the says So the malcher is is starting off in a good position. He has a contract, and there was no. He had an agreement that the the agreed to pay. I have no clear argument that. Uh, that, that, uh, that, that breaks the, the that, 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 I have no clear argument against the claim of the Mocher they had a contract, there were no stipulations the car of the Mokr is right he says even though there's an umdana gedol we know in halacha we often have a principle of umdana that even if something wasn't explicitly stipulated if it's clear, if it's understood if it's self-evident sometimes even in the absence of an express stipulation we can invoke umdana to say he meant that uh, even, it, it was unstated but obvious so we can say he says even if this is an omdoni he says he, he can't he, he can't uh, we can't just rule against the mocher because of even this even because of he says the moker's position is too strong. Maybe he says <coughs> that's true if the if, if he already paid. May, maybe maybe we'll say certainly that's true. He says if the if he was already paid if he's if if, if, if the if the Lekeach, if the if the retailer the middleman if he paid cash on delivery he paid for all the leaks and now he wants a refund because he couldn't sell them, certainly the Molcher's position would be unassailable, because this Umzanayi certainly is not strong enough to force the Mokhar to disgorge the, the price that he was already paid. If, however, he was not paid yet, if, if on the contrary, if the Lekeach bought the leak on credit, and it's the Mokher who wants to bill him, then the burden of proof is on the Mokher, possession is nine-tenths of the law, then he says it's possible that we can say, that the Mocher can't demand payment because the Lekech does have this umzir on his side. <coughs> so that's his initial position, that it would depend who's Moksuk. If the is Muksuk, his position is unassailable, he would not have to refund any of the money. If the Lekech is Moksuk, he has not yet paid, he could, maybe he couldn't be forced to pay because at the end of the day, he has a very plausible claim against the Mocher that, that he destroyed his, the viability of his position by dumping more leak on the market. So he's not sure. He doesn't have a clear raya. And he's, at this point, he's really misupply. But Then he says, however, I, I think I have a raya. He says, at this time, he didn't have a raya. He says he, he didn't have a clear raya, so he made a pshara. He made some kind of, she doesn't say what the pshara was, but he made some kind of pshara between them that the Lakak would pay more than he wanted to, but less, presumably more than he wanted to, but less than the Mocher wanted. That was what he did. Now he says, however, if, if we analyze the question more fully, if we try to bring a proof from Chazal, Here's my analogy. Here's the precedent I found, he says. The halacha is, there's a, there's a law in the Torah called Oso Vespino. It's Beno. Uh, it's actually not Beno, it's actually Bito, but the halacha is Oso Vets You're not allowed to shecht a mother animal and a child animal the child animal the same day. The, well, certainly the mother, and the, I think it can't be the, the son or the daughter of the mother, but you can, you can shecht a mother and a child the same day. That is true regardless of whether the people shechting them are the same people. You're the farmer, you're shechting two animals in the same day, one is the mother, one is the daughter, you can't do that. That also applies if the, if the shechim are two different people. If Reuven and Shimon are both shechting animals, one of them has the mother, one has the daughter, they're not allowed to both to shech both on the same day. The question is, who has to give way to whom? If, if Reuven and Shimon come to and Reuven says, I want to shech the mother, Shimon says, well, I want to shech the daughter. So who wins? That's the whole discussion in Chulin. How you decide who wins if they both want a shech? Who has to give way to whom? So the Mutzal Me'esh brings the Gemara that says that if so, he brings the the in Chulin, it says if someone sold an animal, let's say the seller started out with both animals and then he sold one of the two to a buyer, and then he wants to shekh the other one, then we tell him no, can do. We tell him when you when you when you sold one of the two mother or daughter, to the Lakakh, you were implicitly granting the Lekech the right. You, you were selling animals that were fit for purpose, that were fit to be eaten and in, today. And therefore, you implicitly are accepting upon yourself that you are not going to shech the other one, which would deprive the buyer of the ability to enjoy his purchase to shech the animal and eat it. The... When the Lekech bought it, there was an implicit understanding that the Melcher was granting him the right to full enjoyment of his purchase, which means the Melcher is relinquishing the right to take any action that would prevent this. In particular, he's relinquishing the right to shech the other one. Shech, if he sold, if he sold the, the mother he can't, he's relinquishing the right to shech the daughter. That's a Tosefta after the should bring. And then the Mishnah says that if two people bought, if there were three people involved, the seller sold, the seller divested himself of both the mother and a daughter, and now the two buyers uh, are, are going to disagree about who gets to be the one to shecht. Only one of them can shecht, whichever one shechts. The other one will be barred from shechting. So here the halacha is again, rishon rishon. The, 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 one, the first buyer has the right to shecht today and at, at the expense of preventing the, the second buyer from shechting. And that's the basic halakha. So he says, you see from here that when someone sells an animal... The first sale conveys to the buyer the right to, to use his purchase and to check it. And the the, the the seller the seller the loses the right to do that. Therefore the seller himself can't check. And if the seller sold to somebody else, that, that second buyer doesn't have the right to do it. Because the seller already has lost the right to check the animal that remains in his possession. Therefore, when he sold that second animal to a second buyer, the second buyer can't be better than the seller himself, and the seller has, has no longer has any right to check the animal. But basically, putting aside these, these, these complications, the basic rule is that when the seller makes a sale of one of a pair of animals, the seller is relinquishing the right to shecht the other one, because that would, that would hamper the buyer from, from being able to, to enjoy his purchase and shecht it. Therefore, says the Mutzal similar argument applies here. If the seller has a bunch of inventory, and he sells half of it to a buyer just like when he has two animals and he sells one, he's implicitly relinquishing the right to sheck, to check the other one because that would interfere with the buyer's plans for his animal. So too here, if he has, let's say, 200 uchya of leek and he sells 100, he's implicitly relinquishing the right to sell his remaining 100 okia certainly at uh, wholesale prices on this market because that would interfere with the buyer's plans of selling it at retail. And therefore, again, by, by analogy to this of Ossim Espinot, the seller has no right to dump, the, to dump his, his leak on the market. Rav Al- Alfandari winds up, he says, Ella, I can't prove from here that he, that he has any liability if he does. I, I can prove that Lechatchila, the, the, the buyer, has a right to object, that if the buyer sees him about to sell it, he can ask Basin for an injunction that he shouldn't do it. Lechatchila, you're not allowed to do it. But in Chosh and Mishpat, not everything that you can't do Lechatchila uh, results in liability if you do do it. There are certain things you're not supposed to do, but if you do it, they're not actionable," says the mutzal And his last line, the tshuva goes on. He talks about a, a related topic, but his last line on this basic question is, "All I can prove," he says, "is that all I can prove is that you're not allowed to." He says, "I can't prove that the I can't prove that I, I can't I can't prove that the pedyevet if he sells, he's going to be he's going to be liable." And that's, the, and that's his conclusion, he says, he ultimately he, he ends as he began, he's not really sure, he's not really sure, and the, he says that, his, again, he started, by saying it would, it would, he started by saying it would depend who the mucsuk is, that, that, that if the mucsuk is the seller, then certainly the seller couldn't be forced to refund the buyer, if the buyer is the mucsuk, then he thought there was a good chance that he can hold on to the money and not pay, ultimately he's not sure. And, and he has this riot from but no, the raya is at least l'chathila. He feels it's a, it's a good raya that the seller shouldn't take action that would interfere with the buyer's ability to enjoy his purchase. But B'dievet, that's not... B'dievet, he, he doesn't know whether the... B'dievet, B'dievet, he's not sure that that would be grounds for a, for a refund. This, this question, this thread, was then picked up by another Sephardic rabbi, in the Ottoman Empire, a century later, in 18th century rough, by, the sefer, <laughs> the of <the> Kol <Chivas laughs> Kolelio. The Chuvus Kol was written by Revelio Yisrael. The Yisrael family, Yisrael is a last name in this context, the Yisrael family was a very distinguished also, a very distinguished Tzvardik Rabinic family as well. They produced a number of gedol torah a, 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 a number of Poschum as well. I think it's the same family. I know I know other great Tzvardik who were... Uh, who were uh who were who were named Yisrael. Yeah, his father his father's name was Moshe Yisrael. Moshe Yisrael was the Masis Moshe, one of one of the outstanding Sephardic posts came of his time. Also his son, Elio Yisrael, was the was the author of the colo. He was also in the Ottoman Empire. He was in Alexandria and Egypt in Ushalayim, which back then was all part of Turkey. Then the Sfaradim all lived in one uh, Shilatim you know, in, in, lived largely in the Ottoman Empire. Alexandria, Egypt, was part of the same uh, the same country back then, the same empire. So this question is is that was was then the next to pick this up was Rebellio Yisrael in the Kollele He was asked about a different question, not the same question as not the same question of the Leaks, but it was a conceptually a very similar question. He, he was asked this question by another Rabbi who put the him. He says, somebody one merchant sold another merchant karos bowls or plates imported karos kar- new imported karos karos chadashos, that were that came from eritzaheris kalahas pruta. the wholesale price that he bought these karos that he sold these karos for was one pruta. the the merchant the, the wholesale customer then took them to his shop to sell them to profit In his estimation, it was Burlow, he was sure he could sell each one for two prutas, similar to the Mousselmeyesha's question. There he bought it at three, he expected to sell at seven. Here he bought it at one, he expected to sell at two, make a a nice profit. However, same problem that day, that very day, as soon as he got this first big sale to the retailer, the wholesaler then brought out more inventory of the same min, and he sold them again. He sold them at wholesale price of one pruta, which obviously would have... Badly crimped the plans of the retailer. Now the retailer was very upset. Took him to Adintara, Covil and Misran, complaining bitterly. You should have told me you had more inventory and you planned on selling it. I wouldn't have bought it had I known that, he said. Had I known, just like the Tesla buyers say to Tesla, had I known that you were about to slash prices by $10,000, I wouldn't have bought it, or I would have waited till tomorrow to buy it. So had you told me that you had more inventory that you were planning on dumping, I never would have bought it. And obviously, the seller's response is that, that well, there's a good reason I didn't tell you. Maybe there's a very good reason I didn't tell you, because I, you know, I don't have to tell you. But anyway, so the buyer says, kanisi ani. implicitly, when I bought them, it was because I intended to profit from them, and you shouldn't have sold at the same price, because how am I going to profit if you do that? The seller says, same as the Kola Leo, same as the Leish's case. He says, we had no condition. Loha If you wanted any guarantees, if you wanted a condition, you should have said so. I made no promises to you. We had no conditions, he says. What right do you have to object? This is business. I, 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 I didn't falsely represent anything. You got what you paid for at a, at a, at a price. that you, There was nothing hidden about this deal. My inventory and my business plans are not, are not your affair. We didn't stipulate anything regarding my plans, and therefore, once again... Once again, he says uh, he understood that he was hurting his business, but it's not my problem. He says you you, you, you didn't make any such stipulation, not my problem. Misasim betainas halalu, the rabbanim of the time apparently uh, didn't have any didn't have any clear proof on this question. They 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 couldn't uh, they couldn't resolve the matter. Like as the mutzalmei there was no solid proof, and therefore they presented this to the kollel for his opinion. Says the, the so the, the Shoal apparently hadn't seen the mutzalmei but Rabbi Yisrael did see the Mutzal Meish. He says, tshuva, ani amina, yote. I have an explicit precedent for this in the Chuva of Rav Yaakov Al-Fandari in the Mutzal Meish. So he brings the, the whole, he brings the, the position of the Mutzal Meish that there's no clear proof, but he, but he, but he makes an analogy to, to Osef Espinot, to the idea that the seller has a duty not to dump, not to shek the animal because that would interfere with the buyer's plan to shek his animal, However, the Mutzal Me'esh said that you can't prove from there that there's, there's any liability, but the avid, all you can prove from there is that you shouldn't do it, but the Mutzal Me'esh said I can't prove from there that he can be him for damages after the fact if he violated the halacha. Says Rabbi Yisrael, says the Leo, I think it's a very good proof. I think the proof is even for B'deavid. Vani I, little me, he says, Tomehani al Tvarov. I don't understand why you don't think that's a good proof, even B'deavid, even for damages, he says. I think you actually can prove from there that, that he's chayev even by the The post can say, the post can quote the Ramban, that if, the, if it turns out that the seller had already shechted the, the daughter before he sold the mother, that's a Mechak So you see that the impediment that the that the buyer is unable to sheft his animal, that is a full-blown mechactose. And and he can sue for da- he can't sue for damages per se, but what he can sue is mechactose. That's the had I known that you shefted the animal, the, the mother of this one, the daughter of this one, I, I, the daughter of this one, I never would have bought the mother. That's the mecoctose that we showed him say. So here also, had I known that you have a bunch more and you're gonna dump it on the market, I never would have I never would have bought it, I never would have bought the the quantity I bought from you. And therefore, it's exactly like that case, he says. It would seem it's exactly like that case. And, the, and it's ground to mechaktos. The obvious objection, which perhaps some of you are uh, contemplating or preparing to ask me about, is that there's a very, very big difference in those two cases. It's uh, actually rather surprising that the kololio doesn't acknowledge this, but there's a very, very big difference. In the case of the Ramban, in the case of Osweb Espeno, the case that we showed him kolom mechaktos that's a case where the mother, the, da- the daughter, or whatever it was, was already shechted at the time of the sale. At the time of the sale, the fact already prevented him from the buyer from being able to enjoy his purchase. It's not, it's not based on what the broker chose to do later in the future. Rishonim said if the, if the seller had already shechted the daughter at the time he sold the mother and the, and the buyer wasn't aware of that, he sold him an object which at the time of the sale wasn't fit for purpose, that's the case that Rishonim says in a Toz. In our case, at the time of the sale... There was not a glut of merchandise on the market. There was not a glut of product. The buyer could have sold at retail. It's what the seller did afterwards that, that undercut the buyer's position. That's not at all the same thing. And I say that with some confidence because we'll see this position, this point is going to be raised by a third shuva on the topic, by the Beish Lomo in a shuva that we'll see present. But I'm just bringing it up because it's uh, it maybe something that some of you were thinking, but we'll get, we'll get to this discussion soon. Anyway, the Kollel feels this is a this is a good analogy. He says initially he says it's a good analogy, just like in the case of the animals, if it, there's an issue of mechachtos, if the buyer is unable finds himself unable to shecht his animal, that's a mechachtos. So too in our case of the kara of the kara's, he says if the buyer the retailer finds himself unable to sell the kara's in, uh, in, uh, in a in a in a in, in a profitable way, that grounds mechaktos, and he would have the right to go back to to the seller and say mechaktos. However, the Kolio argues for other reasons. For other, for other, for other there are other <coughs> distinctions between these cases, which prevents the, the whole analogy of the mutzal Me'esh, comparing the case of the mother and daughter animals to the case of the to these cases. The analogy is problematic for other reasons. He says, "Yesh <laughs> makom He says, "Ikar over there, he says, "It's You're buying something to eat, and 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 if you can't eat it, that, that defeats the whole purpose of buying it. He says, because if the if the mocher it, then the lukech can't eat his can't eat his animal. He's, he, he has he has no food. Here, it's just a question of profit. He says, so if, you, if the first guy won't make profit, it's not the end of the world. It's not the same thing as being stuck without food. He wants to distinguish between whether I'm buying something for a personal need or for a or personal need or for commercial purposes. So that's a more that, that 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 would seem to be a less obviously compelling distinction, but that's what he argues that that, that at the end of the day it's different because it's uh, there's a difference between between someone who buys for difference between someone who buys for commercial purposes and someone who buys for for uh, and, and someone who buys because he actually has a need for the thing. So at the end of the day, he's uh, at the end of the day, he, he, he he's not he's not entirely convinced either. He goes back and forth with additional sparse, and uh, so he's he'll, he's also not 100 percent sure. He he also works primarily, he also works primarily with the with the raya of the with 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 the raya of the from the schita gemara. <coughs> he argues that to the extent that it's a raya, it's a raya, even regarding b'diavad, even regarding the e, even regarding the fact that you can get your, they can get your money back with Mechatos, but he's not sure. For various reasons, he's not sure if it is really analogous to that case because commercial purchases are different from commercial purchases are different from uh, from purchases for for a personal needs, and therefore, at the end of the day, he's also not entirely sure. I'll just bring up the tshuva to quote maybe a little more from the tshuva. He he he, he goes. I I only I only excerpted the first part in the handout, but he but he goes on for a uh, he goes on for a. Uh, goes on for a bit of a while after that. let me just bring up the chuva. I put I, 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 I erred in recording the citation, so I have to just uh, go, go, go find it again in the safer. Um, all, right. all right, well we, we, can, we can just leave it at that for the Colo for the Leo for now. The, these two chuvas, the chuvas of the Mutzal Aish and the Colo Leo, were brought in the safer Di the Sefer Divrei Gaonim is not such a well-known Sefer outside, beyond students of Chosh and Mishpat. It, 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 is an, it was an extremely good and extremely important Sefer in its time. The Divrei Gaonim was a 19th century Ashkenazic work. It was sort of like the Pizchei Those who have studied Shulchan Aruch are familiar with the Pizchei on Yerdea, on and Mishpat, Eben Mishpat, as a compilation of Tshuvas, from, of various chuvas gathered together according to the order of the Shulchan Aruch. The Piskechuva is was very valuable the Peskechuva is a uh, it's, an, it's also an extremely valuable work but the Peskechuva is does not focus on the Chuvus of the Sfaradim the Peskechuva is primarily familiar with the Chuvus of the Ashkenazim he sometimes quotes some of the Sfaradim sometimes via the Shach or other things but his focus is mostly on the Ashkenazi Chuvus The Divrei Gaonim was also an Ashkenazi but he was very interested and very well read in the Sfaradic Chuvus as well so he published a work called Divrei Gaonim, which was basically an anthology with, with, plus his own comments and his own notes as well, similar to the Piskei basically an anthology of all kinds of chuvas, including many svardik Chuvas. It was much less, much less uh, widely used than than the Piscachuva. It wasn't printed in the Shulchan Aruch like the Piskei perhaps because he made the mistake of organizing his sefer by alephates. He has uh, he has one section for each letter of the alephates. It's kind of a topical index. You can look for. Under Aleph, you'll find Asmahta and and Ain uh, Ain you know, uh, at the most maybe, maybe and Ona, and uh, under Bays you can find the you know, topics of base. So it, it wasn't arranged by Shulchan Aruch, couldn't easily be printed with the Shulchan Aruch. So I don't know if that's why it was less popular, but it is a, it is a very very valuable work. And in his in, 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 so in his Sefer in the in in, in the in the Divere Gaonim he brings both these juvas of the Mutzal and the Kol and then he comments as follows. He says, following the, following the Kol Aliyo, he writes that the, again, the, the, the whole analogy to, he also argues that the whole analogy to the Behemah is not such a proof, for a different reason, he says, because in the case of the behemas, in the case of Kulin, <coughs> the buyer was clearly buying it in a time-sensitive way. We're talking about buying it with Tzarach the Gemara is talking there about when you buy behemoths at certain times of the year, you, you, we assume you're buying it to right away because there were certain times of the year, right before certain Yom Tovim, where meat was in very high demand. And even, even in the case of the Mutsal that was true, he says, that there were, he, he was buying leek and they were selling leek right before Yom Tov. It was being sold for Yom Tov. There, he says, we always understood that the whole business model had to do with a pre Yom sale. So there he says, yes, the, the, we, we can argue that in these cases, the, if, if the seller undercuts you, then you have a big problem, and, the, and, and it's not fair, and it's mechaktos. However, he says, in the case of the Leo, there was nothing, there was nothing seasonal about this. Was, the, the, the fellow simply ran a hardware store, and he, was, he wanted to sell caras. He could sell them today, he could sell them tomorrow, he could sell them in, in a month from now, he says. There's nothing, they're not perishable, they're, they keep. It's not right before Yantip where everyone needs to buy pots. There's nothing that's, that's particularly time-sensitive about this, he says. Therefore, what mekakhto what, is, he says. If you don't sell it today, because he's dumping, he's dumping merchandise, sell it tomorrow, sell it in a month from now, he says. Obviously, it depends on the product. There are some products people don't buy that often. If, you, you know, if, if, the, if, if the market is small enough and the dump supply is large enough, you may depress the market for months or even years, depending on what kind of product it is. But the, the basic point of the Debré is that the, you can't compare... The, the sale of things which are extremely seasonable and extremely time-sensitive, where they have to be sold, and uh, the, the, where the market inherently is very very cyclical, very time-sensitive, and if I miss this opportunity, I'm in big trouble. You can't compare those types of cases, like the cases of the animals in Chulan, right before Yuntif and the cases of the, of the selling leek right before Yuntif You can't compare those cases to the cases of the Karas, which was not time-sensitive, which is a whole different story, he says. In that case, there, there's no reason to call them a Therefore, he does not like the he does not like the suggestion of the kol that the case of the kara's of the bowls or plates would be mekaktos. He says Sarachim Ludina. He doesn't like the kol analysis, and then he says vchein hiskemim gisi. My brother-in-law, he said, agrees with me. My brother-in-law, he says, was Hagon or Shlomo Drimmer, based in Skala baOrach. My brother-in-law, he says, Shlomo Drimmer agrees with me at great length as well. The the tshuva of his brother in law is the final tshuva we'll see tonight. His brother in law was one of the Gidole hadar of that time as well. An even greater, a very different sefer he wrote. Uh, his brother, his brother in law wrote the tshuva's Beishlomo, which is uh, one of, also. He was one of one of the great tshuvas farm of his time of the nineteenth century. The diber Gonim's work is valuable as a, uh, as a as a resource, as a as a collection, a compendium, a poskim. But his brother in law, the Beishlomo, was was one of the Gidole Hamashivim of that time. And his brother-in-law addresses this question also in his tshuvas. Now, this tshuva is an interesting tshuva. The, the Beishlomot's tshuva was not written... In, in, un, unlike the tshuvas of the Mutzal Neyesh and the Kol which were written in response to actual questions, the Beishlomot's tshuva was not. It was written in the year Tafresh Haftes in 16, 1869. The tshuva was actually addressed to his brother-in-law, to the author of the Divrei Gaonim. His brother-in-law is Rechaim Ariyeleib Kahana. The tshuva was basically... A set a, 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 a collection of notes on the Sefer Divrei Gonim. He says that the his brother in law Rabbi Rabbi Kahana, the author of the Divrei Gaonim, sent him parts of the, the manuscript or of the first published edition of the Divrei Gaonim, and the was was commending him on his work, and was, was commenting on a few of the things he wrote in his Divrei Gonim. So he says, "Risi <laughs> He did he did a very good job he collected many dinim nechutim, he emphasizes, the, the great value of the De'Rigionim is, is that it brought to Ashkenazi attention some of the Chuvas of the, the, of the Sfardik Chachamim, in Ashkenazi countries, they, they, weren't as, uh, they weren't as readily available. He says, even I, the Beish Lomo, I haven't seen many of these svarim. he says, therefore I'm sending you my haskama. he says, I'm printing the Sefer, and in order he says that you should know, that you, can, you should be assured that I looked at your Sefer, he says, Therefore, I'm going to write, I'm very busy, I don't have so much time, but I'm going to write you Ha'aris on some of the things you bring in, uh, in your sefer. And he says, because I'm so busy, says, the Diveri garden, as I mentioned earlier, was arranged by Aleph base. He said because I'm so busy, he says, I'm only, gonna, I'm only going to write on the first page of the sefer that I saw, which is Os Aleph. So he has several Ha'aris about Os Aleph. So first he has on Ona Aleph of Nun Aleph which is about, uh, so so... First he, ha- first he has, first he has ono, which is aleph, and then the the, the has, has several cl- several per letter. It, it's not 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 it, it's not it's, it's not actually as I said one klal per letter. It's actually he has he, he arranged the sefer in a hundred plus klalim. He has several klalim per letter, and, and os aleph stretches aleph is klal uh, aleph is os machta and so on, klal hay, klal is claw hay is, go- is, is, is 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 ono. Is still Aleph. So the he's writing. Beshlom was writing. Haaris us. Aleph. One of his haaris is on Klal Hay. Is, is on this discussion of the Mutzal Anah means fraud or different types of deceptive or unfair sales practices and includes a variety of these practices. So on Klal Hay, with with this with this discussion of the mutzel Me'esh and the Kalalio was brought. So included in the in the several haras that Baishlama wrote to his brother law, the Divrigaunim is a discussion of this machlaukis between the, the, the this is, is a discussion of this of these chuvus of the Mutsalmeish and the Muzalmeesh and the Kololio. So Baishlomo says he says uh, first of all I absolutely agree with you, he says, as as the as the Gaudim wrote, he, he agreed with him, he says that to claim this is mekaktos in a, in, in a non-time-sensitive thing, he says, that we should him say over there that there are four times of the year that the animals are mekaktos, because there are four times where it's widely understood, there's such a crush, such a high demand for meat, there are four times where we have special halachas that anyone who sells knows that the buyer needs to shecht it right away, four specific times of the year, other than that, we don't assume any purchase is time-sensitive, unless there's a structural reason to believe a particular purchase is time-sensitive, there's no, there's no automatic assumption that anybody who buys anything needs to be able to have immediate, right now, use of the property. Therefore, he says, there's certainly no reason to say that the case of the Ka'aras, which was not intrinsically time-sensitive, that the Lekech has any right to say that put, imposed any restrictions on the Moch. Even, however, he says in the, even he says in the case of the Mutsalmi'esh, which was a time-sensitive thing, it was a case of leak before yuntif, which was the leaks are perishable; they only last a couple of days, and yuntif is the time to sell them. He says the, there's still a difference. He says because in the case of the animal, he can't shckt it at all. In the case of the leaks, he can sell them; he just can't make a lot of money. He says he has to sell them at cost. The, the mocher wasn't dumping below cost. The mocher was dumping, at the, the wholesaler was dumping at the same price that he sold to the buyer. The buyer is not going to lose money. He just has to sell them without profit. That's not quite the same thing, he says. Okay, maybe you could say that it is the same thing because nobody, nobody goes through all the trouble and hassle of buying and storing and the trouble of selling and transporting just to break even. Maybe that is the same thing that, that practically speaking, even though you can sell it and recoup your price, that's, uh, that would be a crazy thing to do. So in practice, he says, maybe that's the same thing. However, he says, now he makes the point that I said before that, 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 that we said there's a difference between conditions that were in existence already at the time of the sale and conditions that were changed later, that conditions that, that evolved after the sale. He says that, he says, what's the connection, he says, to what the Rishonim said that, that, that in a case where the seller already, already shechted the mother or the daughter, it's a mechatos. If the buyer finds out that he can't shect his animal because the seller already shechted his, it's a mechatos, he says, that's totally different, he says. There, the toast was because the seller already shacked it. Yes, if you know, the seller already shacked it and the buyer wasn't informed, that's a classic mechak toast. There was information that was already existing right now. There were, there were already facts that, are, that were already true right now that the, seller is, that the buyer is unable to enjoy his property the way he expects to. That's a mechak toast, he says. Even in a case where, where the seller didn't shack it, he said. But let's talk about the other case, a little more complicated. Let's talk about a case where the seller sold the mother to Ruvain. Then, then an hour later, he sold the daughter to Shimon. He didn't tell he didn't tell Shimon that he already sold the mother to Reuben. So, so when Shimon bought it, it, was, it wasn't the mother wasn't the mother wasn't yet shechted. On the other hand, as we said before, the first buyer has the right to shechted. So Reuben can now tell Shimon, you can't it. I was the first buyer, so I have the right to shechted and you don't. So there also we says, since at the time Shimon bought it at one o'clock, let's say, Reuben had bought his an hour earlier. And Reuven thereby got the right, the, the first right to, to, to shecht his at the expense of Shimon. There also that would be a mechaktoz, because Shimon could say, "Had I known that you already shechted the the you already, that you already sold and granted the irrevocable right to somebody to the first buyer to shecht his, and I can't shecht mine, I never would have bought it." That's because the fact already in existence, either because the, the other animal is already shechted, or even if it wasn't, if the other animal was already sold to someone who had the right to shecht it before the before the second buyer bought his, that's also something that, that that's also something that uh, that damages that that injures the, the 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 buyer's property. And that was already in the world at the time of the sale. Enkin, in our case he says, let's say the seller didn't shecht this yet. Let's say the seller shecht it, sells the mother to Ruvain, hasn't sold anything to anybody else, hasn't shechted anything yet, sells it to Ruvain, an hour after he sells it to Ruvain, he shaloked in the other one that he still has. That's not ground to Mechtos. What, if the seller takes action after the fact that that, that that infringes the buyer's ability, that injures the buyer's ability to use his property, that's not a mechatos. What happens after the sale, whether it's uh, an accident, whether it's uh an act of God, whether a third party does something, what happens after a sale is generally not grounds for mechatos. If you buy a car at a dealer, Tesla or any other car, you drive out of the dealership. Ten minutes later, you park the car and uh, a meteor falls from the sky and flattens the car. You can't go back and say, I want my money back, because it's Mechaktos. Once you bought it, that, that's it, you're done. If the meteor had fallen an hour before you signed the papers and you didn't realize it was in the lot, you turned your back, you signed the papers, it turned out, before you signed, the meteor fell and smashed the car, that's Mechaktos. But if it happened five minutes after you signed the papers, after you made the Kenyan, there's no Mechaktos. Says the Beish Lomo, exactly the same thing here, that uh, it doesn't matter that the seller himself is the one who took the unfair, injurious action. Since at the time of the sale... There was nothing problematic about your property. There was no information that was withheld from you. There was, it's, it's what the seller chose to do afterwards. What the seller chose to do afterwards, that is not ground for mechaktos. There's no mechaktos. L'mafreya. Mechaktos is, only defi- is always defined by the conditions that existed at the time of the sale. Uh, the validity of a sale is not affected by what happens afterward, even if that subsequent action was taken by the mocher himself. This is actually something the Post can discuss. The case, I think, in the a rush. What happens... If the Reuven sold Shimon a house, and then they got into some fight, and Shimon went ahead, and then, and, and then Reuven, the seller, went ahead and torched the house a day later. Can Shimon say, I want my money back? Obviously, he can sue Shimon for arson. He can sue Shimon as a mazik. But, but, but let's say he wants to simply reverse the sale. Instead of, instead of suing him as a, for, the, for the injury, he wants to demand his money back and unwind the sale. Why, what, what does it matter? Why doesn't he just sue him for arson? There, there, could, there could be, there could be an there, there could be differences between suing for arson and suing for, let's say the house changed price in between. Let's say, in, even within a week or so, the, the real estate market dropped, or the real estate market uh, dropped. So if you sue him for arson, you can only sue for the current value of the house. If you, if you reverse the sale, you get back the initial money that you paid. because you can't, you cannot sue him for, for, for mechaktos. The sale is final, the sale is valid. What he did now, you can sue for what he did now. If it's only a grama, he won't be high of what he did now. It, but but the, the fact that he did something wrong, if it happened after the sale, is generally not grounds for reversing the sale. Therefore, the Beishlomo argues that what does it matter that the seller decided to dump his property, his, his, his remaining merchandise, after the sale? At the time of the sale, there was no information that the buyer was lacking. There was no information. There's nothing he was misinformed about. And therefore, there's no basis whatsoever for Mechak Maybe you'll tell me there is, he says. Maybe you'll tell me there was information he wasn't aware of. He wasn't aware he had more inventory. Had he known there was more inventory, he would have protected himself by, by, by asking for guarantees that he won't dump the rest of the inventory, he says. Is that really a claim? Is, is that ground to Mechaktos? Is it your business that he has more inventory? Is that something you have the right to know that he's considered to have withheld from you improperly? Not so clear, he says. Maybe that's the shy he says. Maybe that's why the Mutsalmej wasn't sure if it's Mechaktos. He wasn't sure. If the the failure of the seller to disclose that he has more inventory is grounds for a mechactose. going back to something like the Tesla case. So typically, I think a big company the size of Tesla probably doesn't just make decisions like that on five minutes' notice. Typically, if they were slashing the price, they probably had internal discussions, or even maybe had even started uh, you know, preparing marketing material, discussing the price of the price changes. That would be an interesting question if you could if it could be established that. Tesla had come to the decision to slash prices, had begun preparing for it, but hadn't publicly revealed it yet, is that on the Had I known that this was already in, in process of being cut, is that ground for the That might be an interesting debate. Similarly, there, there, there is a lot of discussion in the post and we don't have time for it tonight, there would be another night, there's a lot of discussion in the post-game, what happens if if there's a new law that, that affects a new tax, or a new tariff of some sort, that, that affects the the, the market value, but, but but it hasn't been released yet. The, the government reached the decision, but they haven't promulgated it. They haven't... Uh, the people, the, 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 so it's, it's still inside information, but the buyer and seller didn't know about it yet because it, it wasn't officially uh, publicized yet. But it was, it was already on the books. They already voted for it. So can, can the buyer say, had I known about this law... If the law changes after you buy it, of course it's not going to mechitos. If the tax rates change after you buy it. But if the tax rates were already changed, but they weren't public knowledge... Is that ground to Mechaktos? That's a a major debate among the post as well. I'll call upon him, this is what the Beishlomo says, and this is, I think, very logical and very consistent with the usual rules of Mechaktos. What happens afterward is generally not ground to Mechaktos, whether it was a third party, whether it was an act of God, whether it was, even if it was the seller himself. Anything that happens after the sale is generally not ground to Mechaktos. The only way to consider this a question of Mechaktos is is if we can somehow argue that there was already information at the time of the sale there was information, even back then, that, was, that already existed, that was being improperly withheld, that the, that the buyer wasn't aware of. That, he says, might be ground for some kind of mehaktos. That is... That is... Uh, that, that, that's far from clear. Bek Shlomo then has some further analysis of this question, which we're not going to get into tonight. I'll call upon him, this is what we have. We have, the, just, just to summarize, we have the Mutzel Mayesh, who talked about a case of leaks before Yom Tov. He wasn't sure if it's Mechaktos, he was inclined to say it depends who's Muxuk, but, but he wasn't really sure. He tried to compare it to shkita of a behema, where the, the seller has no right to sell one behema if he sold the child to another person. That, we said, A, is limited to certain times of the year. Might apply here as well, before yuntif, but that's limited. And also, the, the Mutzal Me'esh said it's not ground to Mechaktos. The kolio said it is ground to Mechaktos in that case, except that that case, he says, was when you're buying for personal consumption, not when you're buying for profit purposes. And in his case, of the, of, the, of the bowls, the karas, he wasn't sure if that was mechatos or not as well. He was inclined to say that it was. We have the... He, he at least took ser- seriously the, the, ch- the possibility that it was. We have the Diveri Gaonim, Rav Kahana, who says mechatos, in that case, it's not time-sensitive, he says. How can you possibly claim mechatos? If you can't sell it today, you'll sell it tomorrow. If, you, if, you, if, if, if it becomes impossible for you to realize your profitable plans today, so you'll, you'll hold them and you'll sell them when, when the market... When the conditions change, but but all the all the earlier cases he says were cases where it's time sensitive. That's a Mechaktos. But to say that something that's not time sensitive is Mechaktos, that you don't say. And then we have finally we have his brother in law, the the Beishlomo, the the rishlamo drimmer, who says the whole the whole mechaktoz thing is is, is 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 would seem to be a category error. He argues because Mechaktos is is generally only things that happen after the sale. He says. But, but mechatos is the only things that already existed at the time of the sale. To claim mechatos based on events that occurred afterward, even if those events were actions of the seller himself, that's not ground to mechatos, he says. The, that's not ground to mechatos. Bichlomo then goes on and discusses how the, the, the possibility that even something that happened after the sale, in certain cases, can be ground to mechatos. He brings the Sugi of umdina, which is a topic for another night, perhaps, but the, 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 and in certain cases we invoke this notion of umdina that... Uh, Even things that happen after a sale sometimes can affect the validity of the sale. When we say that, in what what circumstances, that's something which is a very complex topic. Maybe another night we'll discuss some of those questions of the the tax rules I mentioned, where where the legal framework changed after the sale or became public after the sale, and the conclusion of the Beish Lomo, where he talks about using the idea of umdina, the presumption that there's an implicit condition. I never would have agreed had I known X, even if X happened in the future. In certain cases we say that. Maybe in a future share, we'll discuss uh, some of these other cases and discuss in what circumstances future events can be used to overturn a sale.